Overspill, a high-energy thriller set in Bromley, follows a lad's night out as it takes a terrifying twist. It comes to Soho Theatre from the 14th of October to the 1st of November and was the joint winner of the Metamorphosis 08 Playwriting Award. I'm here with the writer, Ali Taylor, Tim Roseman, the director, and the cast, Cyrus Lowe, Paul Stocker, and Danny Waters. We're here the boys in Mackie D. Mackie D. With a chip. A chip. Three chips in our fingers. In our pincers. We the lads. Three lads. With three chips in our pincers. We the lads on three C. With chips. Three lads. On three C. With three chips in our pincers. This is it, man. The chip's all right. The chip's always all right. Don't flip the carton. The burger carton. Open and split and spilling the chips into the empty section. Another chip. Three chips. We enjoying our chips. I'm loving it. Loving these chips. It's Friday night scene. We go Mackie D's. We get free seats. We get free Big Mac. Free chip. We get free drinks. Cops. <sighs> same place, same time. Every Friday night. So first, Ali, what is Overspill about? It follows uh, a night out for three best mates who've known each other for all their lives and love the routine of going out for beers and McDonald's and uh, all the kind of things that uh, sort of young lads do in the suburbs. And they think they're, they're going to tell you a story about this night out, their, their normal night out on a Friday. But uh, it, it goes wrong when uh, a bomb explodes um, in McDonald's nearby, and that kind of sets a sort of chain of events going, in which they kind of have to sort of change tack on what, what their night out is going to be like, and change tack on the kind of story that they're going to tell you. And why the name Overspill? Well, I'm really interested in looking at kind of what life's like in the suburbs, and Overspill towns are places that. I think are particularly interesting because um, I grew up in one and had this very interesting culture that they are at once a kind of a sort of market town, sort of they used to be old, sort of very small uh, residential places, and um, they've kind of changed. In fact, that sort of following the war, when um, there was this kind of overspill from the East End, where people who had no homes they've been bombed out when they were sort of moved out into the um, the suburbs and these kind of great big estates that built up for them. You had these kind of clash of cultures between kind of um, sort of rural living and then this kind of like kind of quite a sort of a harder East End kind of living. And um, I think you sort of see, still see that kind of friction in, in small towns, in, in these overstill towns now. And um, they have their kind of their own, well, in a lot of cases, a lack of culture. Um, because so many people work in the city and they kind of they all commute out then on in the weekdays and then they all commute back in again on the uh, on the weekends and um, I think that kind of tension that frustration of not having um, a sort of settled culture creates a kind of um, I don't know that you know kind of a small town violence that um, you have and that, that I remember kind of experiencing a lot when I was a kid and um, I think that's kind of kind of where where the place started from. And so did you grow up in Bromley? Well, I grew up in a town um, very, very, very similar to Bromley, uh, an Oaksville town, uh, Bracknell, which is on the west of London. And I had Bracknell in my mind when I start, started writing the play, and it was depressingly easy to change it to Bromley. Um, we, as a cast with Tim, walked around the town centre, and I had the script in my hand, changed this, 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 
this shop to this shop. And of course it's the same shops, it's the same next, it's the Starbucks, it's McDonald's. Um, so what's interesting I think is thinking, well this is about Bromley, but it's about so many other places as well. And so how did you come to write the play? Uh, I had the, uh, an, an idea of doing a monologue, a monologue about what it's like to be living in the suburbs. And I had three characters who uh, were just going to tell a, a story. And with conventional monologues, you have uh, people, one person telling you a story, telling you the audience a story. And it's kind of like the convention is that you sit there and you listen to the story that's been told to you, and then you have um, maybe a bit of dramatic tension that you can see stuff in, in them that they don't realise. Um, their kind of snobbery or their um, their flaws or whatever. But with this one, I thought what I'll do is I'll have a monologues where you you have one story, but you've got three people who are, have different takes on the story. Um, so I started writing. I had like three voices, all kind of you know, just telling each other to shh, and don't move, don't speak. Um, and then it kind of evolved where they were hiding from something. I didn't quite know what they were hiding from, but I knew that there was a threat. Um, and it was, it was a lot sparer than it is now. And then as I kind of developed this, um, it, it turned into a, a story of three people telling the same story but with very different agendas. And the, sort of the, the further I pushed the agendas away from each other, the more interesting it became, the more dramatic it became. Um, so then I had a story of one lad who wants to meet his girlfriend. And that's what, that's what he wants. And another guy who um, wants to express himself through violence. That's how he's going to show who he is. And then another lad who just wants things to be the same, to keep his friends the same. And this, this bond that I introduce at the start of the play is a catalyst for the change that goes on in all three of them. So um, they, all have, they all have to work harder to tell their story that they want to tell and of course so as, a, as the, the central story progresses they all have to fight for it who's going to be the one who wins and who did you base the characters on um, I, I kind of based them on me and my mates from when I was you know younger that um, we still the things that the lads do in this play where we used to go out and drink and uh, you know get in trouble and um, I kind of try and look for some, something to kind of amuse us on a night out rather than just, um, you know, have the standard night out. So um, it's kind of aspects of like kind of the best and worst characteristics of my friends and my family. And um, but I suppose a lot of them are just different aspects of me. You know, that's kind of, I guess, what a lot of writers do is they kind of, they split themselves into various people and they, they sort of, push them in one direction. And do you think suburbia could do with a bit of excitement? For me when I was a kid, yeah, I was desperate for just something more interesting to happen in my life because it might, sort of the way that I grew up was in a, a very quiet, kind of quite a sleepy sort of place where uh, very little happened. And um, I think that almost one of the points of this play is that you've got three people who are mythologizing, that they're, they're making their, they're taking their lives out of the mundane and they are making it bigger. They're, they do for themselves what I think um, upper-class writers have done for um, upper-class characters for years, but which really the, the lads from this class tend not to do. You, you, do. you very rarely get stories or books or films about kind of 
just young, uh, lower middle class blokes who, um, you know, don't have people sort of um, championing them. And you use particularly poetic language in Overspill. Um, is this a feature of all your plays, or is it used here to highlight the intensity of the action? Yeah, it's, a, it's an aspect of uh, my writing. The last play I wrote, uh, Cotton Wool, which was at um, Theatre 503, um, had a certain lyricism in it. Um, I was interested in kind of looking at language and uh, looking at how, if you repeat words, you bounce words off each other, um, how that can create a, a kind of otherworldly sort of feel. Um, and I think with this one, I wanted to push it even further. And because I was writing a, a, a story about a group of people um, who very much define themselves as a unit, that they would almost create their own language. And because they are sort of mythologized, self-mythologizing, they are heightening it because they're heightening it for themselves to make themselves bigger and more glamorous and more attractive. Um, and I think for me personally as a writer, I like to be play around with words because that's one of the great um, uh, privileges you've got when you're writing for stage, is that you can play with language and you can play with images and you don't need to write the, uh, the more regular kind of style of uh, naturalistic dialogue that you would in TV or film or radio. Um, so I like playwrights who play with words and uh, I, that's kind of what I'm trying to and so the cast, Cyrus, Paul and Danny, do you see yourself in your characters? Were you one of the lads? I, I do see a lot of myself in Baron actually. I think um, I think we're both quite um, determined. I think he's got a lot of ambition and I think he is somewhat scared to, to really, you know, to tell everyone how ambitious he is and what he really wants to do in his life and he kind of feels he has to go along with certain routines and certain things. Um, so in that, that aspect, I do think similar, slightly. Um, yeah, me too. I do feel there's a lot of aspects of my character, Finch. Um, what, going along with sort of what Ali said, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I came from a little small town as well, and I was uh, I always thought I was being arrogant, I guess, bigger than the town, and wanted to experience more than that town had to offer. So it was mundane living there, and any sort of bit of excitement would have been amazing which never came, obviously. So there are elements of my character, I think, which I like as well. And have you ever been on a night out in Bromley? We all did. We all went out on, on one bit to Delano's, uh, which is a place that we, we go to. In fact, we went to everywhere that we went to, that we go to in the play. We went to on one night out. Didn't end too well, did it? No, <laughs> it was, um, there was a potential scrap. Cyrus um, started it. Yeah, Paul started it. Um, <laughs> I defused it, Paul defused it. Um, uh, yeah. What do you think would be your reaction if you're in the same situation as your characters? I think what's interesting actually is that, that I don't want to give the plot away too much, but the things that happen to the characters, they decide to tackle, the, tackle it themselves rather than go to the authorities or go and speak to someone or seek help. They seem, they're very insular and they're very about the group and they just said, no, we the group can deal with this, we're going to tackle it. And I think, um, I wouldn't deal with things like that, but I think that's interesting talking about these young men who often haven't got a voice. It's the, in the play, there's an example of them not going to the authorities. They don't know we're going to deal with this ourselves. How did you get used to the language of the play? That was quite tricky, actually. Yeah, it's difficult. In some ways, it's, it's very how young people speak, but in other ways, it turns very quickly into quite a poetic language that's 
really repetitive, not in a in a boring way, but the words repeat each other and change their meaning. So personally, um, and I feel that I'm not alone, it was very hard to get your head around learning it. Mm. And, um, because cause all the ideas were different, but it sounds like it could be the same. And, and that's kind of what's beautiful about it, but mm. what made it very hard to get into your head. I think we all said generally we don't have problems learning lines, and we all struggle learning this because of the repetition and that sort of thing. And Tim, you're directing the play. Uh, how did the Bromley audience respond to the play, and how do you think audiences from the rest of London would relate to it? I think, well, I think the Bromley audience loved it, actually. They really, they had a really great night when we tried out for five shows here. Um, I don't imagine that an audience anywhere else will have a different experience, actually, because the whole point of this play is it, it could be Bromley, it could be Bracknell, it could be Watford, it could be Reading, it could be Slough, it could be really anywhere that has any high street with the same M&S and the same Greggs and the same T-Mobile shop. There's something amazing about the language of the play that just grips you and coupled with the the really visual way that it's staged, I think it's, it's a cracking night. Would you say that it reflects how Londoners feel at the moment? I think in all kinds of ways it does. There's a, there's a moment after the bomb where the lads run into the, the good folk of Bromley who are very quick to point fingers and very quick to demand some knee-jerk reactions. And I think that's a slightly telling indictment of the world that we live in, which is looking for quick answers rather than to actually confront what the big questions are. But I don't think that's really what this play is about. I don't think it's a play about societies riven by fear. I think it's absolutely a play about what happens to three lads when their relationship is challenged. And anything else that happens is a sort of an offshoot of that, but all the time is seen through the heart of this play, which is about three people. I think when, when your play becomes about an issue, it becomes much less interesting than when it's about a relationship. And it's quite a physical, lyrical piece. How is it staged to reflect this? You sort of need to see the world of the play. We've taken something very simple, which uh, the design of the play is a very empty space with just three of the very big bollards that seem to pepper Bromley High Street. And they're kind of big, round, like earth balls that you do gym on. And, and the lads create the scene depending on where they are out of what they have there are no props in the play almost there are no costume changes it's it's very much to do with the slickness and the brilliance of their performances coupled with a really inventive visual style that's been created with Strew and Leslie who's our movement director and choreographer and his assistant Zoe um, but this isn't your normal people sitting around play it's fast and one of the reasons that it's tough on the guys is that they effectively sprint for an hour. Yeah, it's an hour through straight through, which is quite short, but by the time you come out, you feel like you've really worked watching it, and they've totally worked doing it. Um, there's a lot of jumping, a lot of physical activity, a lot of very stylized, slick, sharp movement. Down the stairs. We the lads are down the stairs. Through the doors, we're through and out. Out the doors and out of McDonald's. Into the cold, cold air hits us like a slap. The slap of feet. And we the lads burst onto concrete. Grey sea of Bromley concrete. Concrete for shops and concrete for streets. And we the lads out on the street. Arms pumping. Legs pumping. Classic slapping. Ground pushing. Us up and on and 
over, past the bus stops, bins, bollards, Barclays, Primark, concrete paving of Bromley Town Centre. As we walk in rhythm, breathe in rhythm, as one the lads, we the lads, through Bromley Town Centre. That was Ali Taylor, Tim Roseman, Cyrus Lowe, Paul Stocker and Danny Waters and Overspill opens at Soho Theatre on the 14th of October.